You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Aaron Wallace called How to Be a Good Little Church Kid. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. feel like you're waiting for a ride at Disneyland where you're watching those? Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was at Disneyland right now. I could use a churro. <laughs> anyway, clearly I'm very excited that our nursery and preschool classrooms will be opening next week. <laughs> Just so Jake and I can serve this morning, we have our dear friends over here that are taking care of little Hopi for us, because um, I don't think any of us want her to be right here. Um, any morning, anyway reading my notes while I'm trying to talk. Um, how are you guys doing? You guys are good? Did everybody have a good uh, Labor Day weekend? Yeah? Good, good. All right. Who's excited that football season has started? All right. The Wallace home loves football season. NFL and college go Ducks. Taking down Ohio State. So good. We were ranked 12. They were ranked three, and we took them down. Right, babe? I didn't get to watch the game because I was here yesterday for Propel, which was also awesome. So good. Um, who's playing fantasy this year? Fantasy football. Anybody? Woo! Jake's in four leagues. Four leagues. And I'm in my second year, and I can't watch my team do what they're doing right now. Um, but hopefully they're going to be getting me some points so um, I can beat Reese. Because um, I'm playing Reese this week. So anyway, where are my pigskin princesses at? You guys around here? Awesome. If you're a lady here and you would love to play. Oh, there you are. Hi, Reese. You should have played AB, Reese. You should have played AB. AB. <laughs> anyway, um, if you're a lady here and you love football and you would love to play uh, fantasy next year, come talk to me afterwards. Uh, we have a great group of ladies. And it's not just fun. It's also, uh, it kind of becomes this little small group. And we uh, share in each other's joys and support each other. So um, that's my little plug for fantasy this year. Anyway, on to it. Um, I'm happy to say uh, this time I'm not having quite a full out-of-body experience. I mean, my toes are like right here. So we're, we're, we're getting a little better, we're improving. But however, on Tuesday night, I did have a little bit of an out-of-body experience because I came here to the church for a meeting and discovered that the toilet just outside Pastor Terry's office had been spewing water everywhere and flooded our offices. Um, so I, uh, I called Monique and I'm like, Monique, what do I do? <laughs> And I'm like running around in this standing water in my bare feet. Um, and no, it wasn't dirty water. It wasn't, there wasn't any sewage or anything like that. Thank God. Um, but yeah, I'm like running around like, Monique, what do I do? She's like, well, call 911. I don't know who to call. And so I'm like running outside looking, am I looking for the fire department? And I'm called Jake and I'm yelling while I'm trying to turn off the water by the toilet. And I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> But anyway, um, we eventually, I think Jim helped us figure out where the main water uh, line was, and I got that turned off, and everybody showed up, and um, there's still fans and dehumidifiers running in there, so um, I really hope that I never have to do anything like that again, um, even though it's a funny memory, especially for Monique. <laughs> She's like, I'm coming, I'm coming. 
anyway, um, I, I'm really excited to talk to you guys today. Um, I'm a little bit sad to say I'm not going to be talking out of Joshua. I really love that story in the Bible and what an important um, topic for us to be talking about right now, um, major transitions. Um, but when PT asked me to do this, we really weren't quite sure where on the calendar it was going to fall. Um, and then I was supposed to speak on the 29th, and then Hope was sick, not COVID, thank God. But uh, Jesse, that was when Jesse stepped in, and with four day, three days notice, didn't he do an awesome job? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it, it got moved around a little bit. Um, so when PT asked me, he said, just, just pick something, something that had to do with something that I felt like I thought I knew, um, but God kind of had to help me unlearn and then relearn. So really, we're just going to be here all day. Nobody's going to get to watch football. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Um, but today, what I want to talk to you about is how to be a good little church kid right? I grew up in church, um, and it's really easy when you grow up in church, or even if you're just new to church and you're new to following Jesus, um, that it, you kind of feel like there's these certain boxes that you just, you need to check off so you know that you're doing this right and so that you feel like you can fit in, right? Am I, am I raising my hand at the right time? Am I standing? Am I sitting at the right time? Those kind of things. Um, but... If we're constantly working to check boxes and meet expectations, then eventually none of this feels real. And really, we don't feel real. And then sometimes we really start to feel kind of confused and angry. And then sometimes we just burn out. I've been there. It's not a fun place to be. Um, so what I'm going to start with is probably the easiest and the most common box that I think most of us can probably relate to, which is you got to be good enough. Do all the right things, say all the right things, behave in all the right ways. You'll be welcome in church. Jesus will love you and you get to go to heaven. And what was it that they used to say? Don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. Is that what? <laughs> That's before my time, so I hope I got it right, but it's a, I always thought that phrase was really funny. Um, but really, it's kind of this, it's this misconception about this list of do's and don'ts that we make for ourselves, kind of like a mental scorecard that's like one of those apothecary scales, and one side is for the good stuff, and the other side is for the bad stuff, and if this scale tips in the right way, then we know that we're in good standing. Serve at church, over here, make dinner for a sick neighbor, over here. Experience road rage, maybe on this side. <laughs> Read my Bible. Listen to K-Love. <laughs> Watch a rated R movie. Oh, no. Oh, but wait, it was the Passion of the Christ. You're fine. <laughs> Be a Raider fan. You're just, you broke the scale. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> but you, you get the point. It can be easy to feel like following Jesus just comes down to a list of do's and don'ts or walking this like tightrope. And based on how you did that day, you can feel like you're in or you're out. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. You can no, never overestimate his forgiveness and you can never over-exaggerate his grace. What we do or don't do isn't what gets us in heaven or keeps us in his good graces. 
It's Jesus Christ and his work on the cross that was sufficient and final and that secured and sealed our place with the Father. And it is his good grace and mercy that keeps him by our side as we fumble through life. So turn with me to Luke 7, or get your app out and push all the buttons and get there. Um, So in Luke 7, we find the story of the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet. And I think it's such a beautiful illustration of how the apothecary scales of good enough and too bad are undone by the grace of God. And in this story, I love that sound of flipping through the Bibles. It disappeared for a while when everybody went to the phone, and I'm so glad to hear the actual pages. It's, it's one of my favorite sounds. Does anybody remember that when you were a kid? The pastor would say, turn to this place, and you'd hear, you know, this, this very specific sound of the pages turning. Anyway, squirrel. All right. In this story, we find that Jesus is having dinner with the Pharisees when a woman who is only described as having lived a sinful life comes in and causes quite the ruckus. She comes over to Jesus and she begins weeping so much that she wets his feet with her tears and then wipes them with her hair. She takes her alabaster jar that's full of perfume and that at that time would have been worth at least a year's wages. And she lavishly pours the perfume all over Jesus' feet. And the Pharisees gawked in disgust. And basically they said, How dare she? How dare she? What a waste. And then Jesus, in typical form, starts telling a story and flips the script and basically says, no. How dare you? You guys, I need tissues already. (laughs) Every time, every time. Um, If there's tissues somewhere, if there's some right up there, thank you, Cheryl. That would be awesome. I just really love these stories. Jesus is so good, isn't he? (laughs) Um, Okay. Thank you. Someday we'll remember this, or I'll just bring my own. Anyway. So picking up in verse 41. um, This is when Jesus is responding to um, the Pharisees' attitude, and he says, Two men owed money to a certain money lender. (sighs) He owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. I don't cry this much when I read my Bible at all. (laughs) Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
love Jesus. <laughs> While everyone else in the room is busy passing out judgment, Jesus was passing out forgiveness. God's grace is sufficient for us, and somehow this woman who lived a sinful life knew that. So she came as she was, broken and marred by sin, and found forgiveness at the feet of Jesus. And here's the deal. Any one of us, at one time or another, have found ourselves in the position of this woman, desperate for grace, because as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So really, none of us has the right to say to anyone else, how dare you? One other thing to note here is that Jesus didn't ask for anything from her before she could approach him. He didn't say, how dare you? He didn't ask for anything before he forgave her. He just accepted her broken repentance because as Psalm 51, 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And it's the same for us. We can't be good enough to earn anything. We can't work hard enough to measure up to anything. We can't justify ourselves to God through good behavior. But we can come to him in our broken and in our honest mess and find forgiveness. And I believe to my core that God really, really meant it. When in Ephesians 8 through 9, he said, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're good enough because he says so. We measure up because Jesus lifts us up. And we're justified before the Father because Jesus died and paid the price for us. So the next time that you think about coming closer to Jesus and you hear that voice in your head that says, how dare you? You confidently turn around and you say, no, how dare you? How dare you? Jesus died and he paid a price for me. And I belong here. Amen. Amen. Ah. <laughs> so some of you might be thinking, well, if there's so much grace and Jesus takes me as I am, can't I just live how I want? <laughs> well, Paul addresses that directly in Romans 6.1 and says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So no. I'm sorry to say grace does not equal an endless hall pass. <laughs> 
But the fact remains is that we will fail. I do all the time. But a heart that's in pursuit of and living in surrender to Jesus will begin to desire the things that he desires more than that short-term reward of sin that, that sin can give you. And soon enough, saying no to, the, to these things won't be quite so difficult because you'll be too busy saying yes to Jesus. He just asks us for our best. Don't be afraid if your best is messy. Mine is. <laughs> Everyone's is. And you know what? He expects it. Another way that I thought you could be a good little church kid was by being super gifted. In other words, someone who frequently earns gold stars of approval from people. Can anybody relate? Yes. Oh, you can pray out loud. Oh my God. Good for you. Oh my God. Oh, you can talk in front of people. You can sing. So good for you. Oh, you're a leader. Oh my gosh. There's a big gold star. And sometimes I was giving those to myself, let's be honest. But anyway, somewhere along the line, we get this idea that the gifts that get you up in front of people somehow make you more valuable as if church were the spiritual Olympics. And that is so far from it. I guarantee you the only physical awards around here are for fantasy football champions, okay? (laughs) And can I be honest with you about something? There is so much more that goes on behind the scenes here that is so crucial to Creekside making a difference in the lives of not just people in here, but the people out there. Before I even got here this morning, people arrived as early as 6.30 a.m. or 6 on their day off (laughs) and made sure that things were set up and nice for our kids program and for us in here. Before I even stepped on this stage, things were cleaned, somebody might have plunged a toilet, (laughs) you were greeted by someone, possibly led to a seat by someone, perhaps someone helped you get their kids checked into their class. I am up here for roughly 30 minutes, but I'm telling you, Our volunteers are killing it all stinking morning, every week. And not just on Sundays. People come throughout the week to do all kinds of stuff. So in all honesty, I really don't find what I'm doing right now all that impressive. Is it an honor? Yes. Do I take it seriously? Absolutely. (laughs) You're teaching the word of God. Yes. But so many of you are doing some serious heavy lifting week in and week out so that I can do this. And I cannot do this without you guys doing what you do. 
You guys that are continually serving behind the scenes are the real MVPs, and I really don't need to talk too much about the importance of serving in these ways because fr quite frankly, I think Pastor George brought down the house a couple of weeks ago when he taught about serving. It was so good. <laughs> but here's the deal when it comes to giftings. Each of us has a gift that enables us to serve this church, and they are all important to it functioning at optimum capacity. In 1 Corinthians 12, the church is described as the body of Christ, and this body has many parts, but each serves a specific and crucial function that is necessary to the existence of a healthy church. Verses 18 and 19 say, God arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? Every single one of us has value and serves a purpose in the kingdom of God. I don't care if your gift is just showing up and moving stuff because on Tuesday night, we needed people to just show up and move stuff <laughs> when our offices were flooded and people came at the drop of a hat and they waded through standing water just because we asked. And I'm telling you right now, we need people who can move stuff, who can watch my kid, who can watch your kids, way more often than we need someone like me to stand up here and just yap for half an hour. <laughs> and as I was working on this section, someone, something kept coming to mind that really brings to light how we often get it wrong when setting a value for others or even ourselves based on our giftings. There's just this children's book that's called You Are Special and it's by Max Licato. Has anybody ever heard of that book? Yeah, it's a great book. Um, it's about these little wooden people that are called Wemmicks, and the majority of their days are spent doling out dots or stars to each other. The stars were given to Wemmicks um, that had um, these really spectacular gifts and or were attractive, and the dots were given to the less attractive, maybe less gifted Wemmicks or people who didn't quite have what people thought were gifts. And one little Wemmick in particular got only dots. And his name was Punchinello. He wasn't particularly attractive. He couldn't sing or dance. And he had a difficult time talking. And people frequently laughed at the mistakes that he made while he was trying to be impressive. And as you can imagine, he was rather self-conscious. And he didn't really like being around others. And one day he meets this Wemmick that has no dots, and has no stars. And then he finds out that they don't even stick when people try to put them on her. She says it's because she spends time every day meeting with the woodcarver that made all the Wemmicks and encourages Punchinello to go meet him. So he stays up all night, and he's nervous, but he decides that he wants to go. And so he heads out in the morning because he thinks, I have nothing to lose. So when he meets Eli the woodcarver, he's surprised to discover that Eli knows his name and is so proud of him. Punchinello points out all of his dots and Eli says that he doesn't care and neither should Punchinello. Eli tells Punchinello that he was made just right and if he can believe that, then the stickers won't stick. After their time together, Punchinello heads Heads, uh, after their time together, Punchinello 
heads back to town, and as he leaves, one of the dots hits the floor. Isn't that a sweet story? Go get the book if you don't have it. Give it to your kids, give it to your grandkids, give it to your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, whoever. And I'm sure that you can guess where I'm going with this. Do you ever feel like we spend a whole lot of time mentally giving each other dots or stars? Do you ever feel like you spend a whole lot of time giving yourself a whole lot of dots or stars? And I used to. I wish I could say I don't do it anymore, but I would be lying. Um, It's still a struggle at times, but it's not like this consuming thing like it used to be. And one thing is for sure, if we are constantly giving stars or dots to those around us and to ourselves, we'll be too busy passing judgment to function like the body God has designed us to be. See, our bodies are a lot of parts made to work together, and this body cannot work together if either we think we don't belong or we think we don't have value. Or we think they don't belong or we think they don't have value. 1 Corinthians 12 puts it so well that um, I am just, I'm going to turn there and read straight from it. And we're going to pick up in verse 14, go through 21, and then pick up again in 24 through 26. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of that body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We need each other. Amen? And no matter your gift, you have value here. You have purpose here. And you belong here. And if you can believe that, your dots and stars should start hitting the ground as soon as you walk out that door today. Now, lastly, one of the ways I used to think that you could be a good little church kid was to know all the Bible things and just have all the right answers, right? I know, I know, I know. You know what I mean. You want to be that person that always seems to know that random Bible fact or have the verse memorized because then everybody will think that, well, you've got it together. And they'd maybe hold you high up in some spiritual pedestal. But again, there is no such thing as the spiritual Olympics. So first of all, on this, I think we can all agree that generally know-it-alls are just kind of not our favorite people to be around, right? 
And when I was thinking about this, I kept remembering a few years ago, making pl- I was making plans with a friend of mine, and we were trying to decide where to meet. And um, she suggested this place, and she said it was a good option because it was equidistant. It's what? <laughs> it's equidistant. And just in case you're not sure, equidistant means that there's one place and it's at equal distance between two other places, which I knew. But I I was like, equidistant, who uses that word? (laughs) Just say it in the middle, somewhere in the middle. Equidistant. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) And And so I said, who uses that word? And she said, well, somebody who's smart. (laughs) And I was like, in my head, I'm like, okay, well, now you're just being sassy. And if you know me, sass is not a problem. So I just, I sassed right back and I said, or someone who feels like they need to use big words to sound smart. She, anyway, it was all in good fun. We were laughing. Sarcasm was her love language. It's fine. But you get, you get my point. When, when people start kind of flashing these things, um, uh, you know, knowledge or big words or, or whatever, they always seem to know that random fact. It's, a, it's like this badge of honor that they're trying to wave around. And um, it's a little bit off-putting. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I begin to wonder, it's like, what are you trying to prove? Like, equidistant. What are you, try- what are you trying to prove? <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I've said that to myself in my head as I'm talking and spewing facts or whatever. What are you trying to prove? <laughs> in my head. Do you, does anybody else have conversations with yourself in your head while you're talking? Like, just zip, zip it. You're done. Land the plane. <laughs> So so when it comes to flashing our our theological or biblical knowledge, what are we trying to prove? That we're actually saved? Well, we know that it's by grace through faith that we're saved. Are we trying to prove that we have value and that we belong here? We have value simply because we were created in the image of God by God himself. Are we trying to prove our spiritual prowess or our good standing? Our affirmation should come from God alone because while praise from others is nice, if that's what we're living for, we'll always have too many dots and not enough stars. Knowing the Bible from cover to cover doesn't save us, it doesn't increase our value, and doesn't win us a gold medal in the make-believe spiritual Olympics. Now to, be, now, to be clear, read your Bible, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying don't read it. Knowing what's in this book is crucial to our spiritual health, and there are plenty of things in here that would be important to commit to memory. But then there's stuff that, without context and without actually applying what you've read to a life lived with God, it's just fluff, and it doesn't help much. And there's two passages that I want to direct us to here, and I'm just going to read them one after the other. The first one is 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, and the second one is James 1, 22 through 25. So 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, 
but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know what he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. And then James 1, 1, 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceives yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. When we solely, when we read the Bible solely to gain knowledge, all we really end up with is a fat head. And those of us with, those of us with fat heads are too busy celebrating our stupid fat heads to be able to love God or love people well. Friends, every time we pick up this book, we have an opportunity to look into the heart of God and into a mirror that reflects our own heart. And while I can certainly understand why that might be uncomfortable all the time, let's not miss it. When we read to know God himself, to know his character, to know his heart, his, and to know his overarching plan for reconciliation rather than just facts, this book comes alive, and so do we. When we read the book of Nehemiah with the intent, intent to know God, we don't just come away knowing that Nehemiah and his crew rebuilt the entire wall around Jerusalem in 52 days, despite fierce opposition. We come away knowing that this book is a reminder to us that God is not after our empty actions to measure up to a standard, but he's after hearts that are submitted to him and committed to obedience out of love and, and admiration. When we read the book of Judges to know God and to hold the mirror up to ourselves, we don't just come away remembering random facts like Ehud was the judge who was left-handed. Where are my left-handed people? Yeah, I'm not left-handed, but good for you. <laughs> Back in the day, the fact that Ehud was left-handed was seen as a handicap, but not to God. No, he saw someone with a willing heart, and then he used Ehud's perceived weakness to lead Israel to victory. When we read the book to know God, we finish the book knowing that God can and will use the most unlikely heroes like Ehud and Gideon, who was the weakest of the weakest of the weakest of the, you know. And you can begin to believe that no matter how you see yourself, you can be used by God. But we also see that Israel's constant cycle of sin, repent, and be saved from themselves is a picture of our very own hearts, which are prone to wander. When we read the Gospels to know God, we don't just see miracles and Jesus being a sass with the religious leaders all the time. No, we see a God who loved us so much that he left the comfort of heaven to be here with us and to die for us so that we can be with him forever. 
And we'll also know that he sassed the religious leaders so much because they didn't get it. They didn't get that their religious actions detached from surrendered hearts led to legalism and a system in which we measure each other and ourselves with dots and stars. And that is just as much slavery as being a slave to sin. When we read the Gospels and hold up a mirror, we can recognize that at any point in our lives, we could be the beggar in need of a miracle, the sinful woman who wasn't welcome at the table, the disciple who denied Jesus, or the religious zealot who was too busy doling out dots for others and stars for themselves to have the time to be loved by God so they could love others. God's word is alive, not just then, but now. He wasn't just present then, he is present now. He's not just looking for action. He's looking for surrendered hearts. Hearts that know that we can't be good enough no matter how hard we try, but that's okay. We can trust Jesus to accept us as we are. It doesn't matter if you're the proud religious person checking all the do's and don't boxes or the person who's lived a sinful life and in desperate need of a savior. Hearts that know the dots and stars system is broken because we all have inherent value given to us by our creator and hearts that truly know this God of love and know that the mirror that is the Bible should be gazed into intently and allowed to change us. We're all in need of grace. And remember, according to Jesus, we belong here. Not because of ourselves, but because he invited us. I want to encourage you to stand with me just for a few moments um, before we <clears throat> worship one more time. Um, anybody feel like they could kind of relate to any of this this morning? Anybody ready to ditch the dots and stars? I'm so ready for that. Um, if you're with us here in person or, or if you're online with us this morning and, and you feel like this morning, man, I am ready for grace. I, I'm, I'm ready to ditch these dots and these stars. Um, I don't, I, I'm tired of trying to measure up. I know I can't. I know that Jesus is good enough and I'm going to start to accept that whether you're ready to accept Jesus for the very first time and, and begin to follow him and, and ditch, ditch the trying to be good enough but accepting that I'm good enough because he says so. I'd love for, if you're online, you can just uh, click the little icon that, that says, I want to follow Jesus today or you can recommit your life to him or if you're here with us in person and, and you're ready to say, I'm, uh, this is the best news I've ever heard in my life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ and I am ready to accept that grace. 
um, raise your hand. I would love to pray for you this morning. Um, gosh, even if you're feeling like, man, I, I've been, I've got dots and stars all over me and I, I can't do that anymore. I would love to pray for you. Um, you can raise your hand. I'd, I'd love to pray for you. Um, and as I was wrapping all of this up, this, this quote kept coming to mind from this, um, this book that radically changed my life when I was in college. It's called The Ragamuffin Gospel, and it's by Brennan Manning. Radically changed my life because it was, it was, you are loved, you are loved. God's grace is sufficient, and it is here for you. Man, that is the good news of the gospel. And there was this quote that kept coming to mind. Never confuse the perception of yourself with the mystery that you are really accepted. You are really accepted by Jesus. So lay down your perceptions of yourself. Let's lay down our opinions of others and ditch the dots and the stars and accept God's grace this morning. Amen. I'm going to pray really quick and then we'll go ahead and worship. Oh, Jesus. I thank you for your sufficiency. I thank you that you were really, you were willing to bankrupt heaven for us. You look at us and you don't see dots or stars. You just see your kids. And you love us. So God, I pray that this morning we will begin to accept that we're good enough because you say so. That we can stop with the striving and the constant feeling that we just have to keep pushing and pushing because if we don't push and push, then we're not good enough and we don't measure up and we can't be here. But we're here because you invited us and because you made a way. So God, we just accept ourselves as we are because that's how you accept us. And God, we commit to diving into your word, seeking to know you and willing to look into the mirror and see where you're ready to change us to be more like you. God, your goodness is so far beyond description and your forgiveness cannot be overestimated and your grace cannot be over-exaggerated. So we're running after you with just abandon because you've made a way and because you've given us the strength and you're carrying us, God. We love you, Jesus. Amen.